0: Fourth overtime game for the Capitals, it's the third. And here's a chance for Barkov right in, and he scores! It's Reinhardt, the winner, just 15 seconds into
1: Hey now everybody, Steve Bennett here, the Sportscasters Podcast, season 13, episode 20. It is November 9th, uh, Thursday evening into a long holiday weekend here in the United States of America as we honor the veterans that have served this country over the years on Veterans Day. A strong episode of the Sportscasters here for you today. Uh, First of all, Jay Mariotti returns. Uh, Jay Mariotti uh, was a columnist for a long time in Chicago. Uh, rose to fame as one of the regular panelists on Around the Horn. Uh, then he had a falling out with ESPN, which the first time he was on, we went over it. Got his side of the story. And uh, he lives in Southern California and writes columns on his sub stack to this day. And it's his third time on the show, and I'm just going to tell you, he's a lot of fun. Uh, I love just kind of throwing something out there and letting him riff on it. Uh, He's really good, um, and he does not disappoint today. His third A-plus outing here on the Sportscasters. Also today, uh, we'll update the book club, and after, we'll talk about a book I've really enjoyed called Draft Day uh, by two guys I also really enjoyed, Doug McLean and Scott Morrison, who was on last year for a book he wrote called 1972. Uh, He writes this one with Doug, and they do an awesome job talking about the NHL draft. Uh, we'll have them on after the book club and uh, during the book club. We'll update what's going on for the rest of the year uh, with the book club. Um, and also we'll have one last thing later. Uh, next time on the sportscasters will be the return of Joe Buck. Uh, Joe and I will be speaking tomorrow. as well, Probably today as you hear this, assuming you're listening Friday. Uh, Joe and I will be speaking. He'll be coming to Buffalo for Monday Night Football on Monday the 20th. Or no, that can't be right. Monday the 12th, I guess it is. Uh, Or 13th. I don't know, Monday, okay? He'll be here Monday. A couple days from now. I don't know dates. But he'll be here with Monday Night Football. And uh, Joe will be on to uh, discuss whatever it is I'd like to discuss with Joe. And I do have an agenda for that interview, so don't you worry. Also, Kenny Albert will be on soon, of course, talking about his book, A Mike for All Seasons. Uh, Sean McDonough should join us before the end of the year, uh, so looking forward to talking uh, to Sean McDonough. Also, Puck Daddy, Greg Wachinski, and Jeff Passon. Those are the ones I'm really trying to squeeze in before we take a break over Christmas and New Year and come back uh, for season, what, 14. I will be honest, more than ever, I thought about not coming back next year and ending it here, but that's that's not going to happen. Uh, the show will be back for another season in January, uh, and we will soldier on. There's been some burnout this year with booking. Uh, booking guests is difficult now in the land of two million podcasts. We'll actually talk to Joe about that for a second. Uh, booking is difficult, um, and I almost let it. Kill my love for this, uh, but I'm not ready to go there. Another thing that's killed my love for this a little bit is how much everybody I root for just stinks. I mean, the Braves embarrass themselves in the playoffs. The Braves were in the playoffs for about 30 seconds. Okay, it was a really disappointing Major League Baseball playoffs this year. Uh, there was a great game two in the Braves-Philly series. There was a decent game or two in the Astros in Texas. Series and there was a great game one in the World Series and that is pretty much it. That's pretty much it. It was a really bad playoff. Uh, drama was minimal. There was a lot of blowouts, too many bullpen games, uh, just some really bad stuff. It was not a great playoff. The format stinks. Uh, the Braves stunk, and uh, so did everyone else. You know, anyone who won hundred games, they were not good in the playoffs. Uh, And the Phillies were good until they ran out of gas for whatever reason towards the end of the NLCS. Couldn't get a win uh, those last couple couple games. I want to talk about something with that series, too. Uh, Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, from Mike and the Mad Dog, now he does high heat. He ran his mouth a little bit, as Chris Russo tends to do, being the Mad Dog, and said that if the Diamondbacks won those two games, he would retire. And, of course, he's not retiring. People are giving him a lot of heat for it. Those people are stupid. Come on. The mad dog he, he, he got emotional in a moment. And you, you want him to just retire? No. Come on. And by the way, that guy is the only reason not the only one of the one of the reasons all of this exists. Certainly this show exists because of my love for Mike and the Mad Dog and Howard Stern and a few other things. Uh, but we're talking about a Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, who got a little caught up in a moment. that I'm sure he wanted to have back as the Diamondbacks were recording those last couple of outs. But that was not a far-fetched opinion, by the way. Everyone thought that the Phillies would win one of those two games. The Phillies have had the best home field advantage in the baseball playoffs the last couple of years since Yankee Stad- old Yankee Stadium. So nothing crazy about that. Um, I support the Mad Dog Um You know, long live Chris Russo. Uh, Look at the Braves stink. The World Series stunk. The baseball playoffs, which I love, stunk. You know, the Saints, uh, I'm trying to love them. I'm trying to love the 2023, 2024 Saints. They're tough. I'm not a big Derek Carr guy yet. I'm trying to like him. He does make some plays late in the games to win games we also seen two weeks where he couldn't make the play late in the game and they didn't win the game um he's better than what we've had in the past you know post breeze but he hasn't been great yet um but you know man i just love that team so five and four some winnable games ahead uh we'll see i'm hanging in there with them although they haven't been my favorite iteration of the saints so far this year the sabers are a huge disappointment uh, they've been average at best. I, I guess the best news is is they haven't eliminated themselves in the sense that they haven't had a nine-game losing streak like they did last November. Uh, But, you know, they've been a disappointment. They stink. You know, Italy has struggled here. Um, You know, lost to England. They have two big games coming up in a week or two, which we'll talk about. Uh, but yeah, it's been a down, down, down couple of months in sports. Hopefully, with just up. Hopefully, the Sabers keep getting better, make the playoffs. Hopefully, Italy qualifies for the Euros. You know, hopefully, the Saints go on a nice run, go into the playoffs. And hopefully, we're on the the bat, the other side of all the stink that's been going on around here, uh, and uh, it gets better. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we're gonna come right back and talk to Jay Mariotti. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters Podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. Hey, Jay, what's going on, man? Welcome back. Hey, Steve. Thanks for uh, having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I love having you on. I love the columns. Of course, jmariote.substack.com. I still say one of the absolute best sports writers in the in the world. And uh, the sub stack is proof. Let's see what your thoughts are on some things. It's a great time for sports. One of my favorite times of the year. Um, we're about the midway point of the football season. Just kind of generally, what have been your thoughts on the season this year? It's been a really weird year for quarterbacks. I don't know if that might be where you zero in with guys getting hurt. I mean, sort of Aaron Rodgers set the tone right from the start, right? Uh, with his injury, think, and it hasn't stopped. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a big part of it, and it's been a snoozer of a year so far. You're right. I mean, even Mahomes has been up and down, and yep. Joe Burrow had his injury, and you go through the whole roll call, and of course, Aaron. It, it's a, even even Justin Herbert ha- hasn't been dead on. So, in this day and age, when we're so possessed with quarterbacks and how they're playing, and they they, they do rule sports the way, the way it works these days, quarterbacks in the NFL. It's, it's been kind of a rough year, and if you look around the league, you'll find at least half the franchises have issues with quarterbacks. That's one of the reasons I saw C.J. Stroud just have a monster game on yeah. Sunday and really a first half of the season. And, and I look at some of these places, such as, say, Chicago, they can't get the position correct, right. and yet there is Stroud having a great year. So, honestly, man, uh, a little bit of a snoozer. Uh, it's it's you know it's a shame the World Series it only lasted five games and people weren't into it. People weren't watching it. Uh, but you know you have the NBA starting now with with Victor and and all sorts of news stories. So, uh, never a dull moment in sports.
1: You know they've expanded the playoffs in football, so I think it takes a little bit of the regular season away, a little bit, you know, um, because there's going to be a nine-win team in pretty much every year. I think if not two, you know, when you get to that seventh team, like we said, that the quarterback play has been off. I think Lamar Jackson, though, and the and Baltimore, I don't know if anyone anticipated it per se, uh, but you look at what they've done to the two really good NFC teams in the last couple weeks. Um, just pounding them, and uh, Lamar, I think, is down there saying, hey, you guys all forgot me after my MVP and fell in love with Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence and all these other guys, but I think he's kind of reminding everyone he's still there in Baltimore, and he's really been, I think, the star of the season. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that.
2: I think he has been, and I think part of that, it's their own weight, They got rid of that for two years, their own problem and not getting him signed. And a year ago, that was the major issue, and they couldn't get over it. Finally, and it took a long time in the offseason to get that thing done, and now he's another man. Now, I'm not ready to sit here and tell you they're going to make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, They're playing well so far this year. Uh th- this is the kind of year though Steve I would argue it's 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 rough to sit here at midseason and start picking Super Bowl teams. I'm yeah. I'm not, not going to ignore Kansas City and their improvement on defense. Uh you know the the whole Kansas City thing has been just swallowed by by Taylor Swift and and that whole thing and it, they've almost captured their own cult in Kansas city with this whole Kelsey and Taylor thing. All right. That that's the first half of the year. She's off in Argentina. Now he can, you know, forget about it and start catching balls when she's not in the stadium. And and we'll wait for all of that to progress. I still expect Kansas city in the middle of a dynasty uh, to win any uh postseason game buffalo your guys in buffalo have been an up and down and Allen has been up and down and you're you're thinking one minute he's gonna they could miss M- the playoffs
1: jay they could miss the playoffs they really could if you look i, I at their schedule. wouldn't shock
2: me yeah wouldn't shock me man i i it's, it's that kind of year Yep. and and you know alan this may be a little off the wall But he may need a change of scenery. I don't think you want to hear that. Oh, well, that's not going to happen. I'm not a Bills fan.
1: I'm a Saints fan. But there's no chance. They spent 20 years trying to find him. I think what he needs, Jay, and and I'll let you finish, but you can agree with this. I think he needs a Sean Payton. You know, his Drew Brees, to Sean Payton. I think he needs someone who's on the field with him, you know, as the coach, who's kind of like reminding him to be Josh Allen all the time. You know what I mean? I think he just needs that guy. Oh, sure. I, you know. I agree with that. Yeah. But
2: but I, I just have a feeling over the summer, he got swept up in all this gossip stuff in New York. Yep, he did. And it swallowed him whole. And it took me kind of weird where well, I can't deal with the media. now. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Don't you have media up there? I, I'm just starting to wonder a little about his future and whether he might be better off somewhere else than Buffalo. I know nobody wants to hear that there, and and they're going to have to make the deal done, uh, and and make him the the richest quarterback of all time when he's and ready, will. and they will. But he's got to want to sign it too. I'm I'm you know I'm not trying to, to to create a stir or anything. But that's one guy I wonder a little. He is so inconsistent that that wh- whether it's bringing in a, a you know a coach to get him straight. Uh, he's just all over the map, and I think at this point in his career, uh, he's either an MVP or he's disappointing, and you can't be one way one week and and one way the next. Joe Burrow's a guy who was clearly injured at the beginning of the year. It it bothered me greatly when so many people were down on Joe Burrow. Don't you realize he's playing when he shouldn't be playing at all? And he got through that period, now he's back to scratch now. Uh you know but I'm like you man we're all looking at quarterbacks as as the kings of the pie in sports and we're all looking at each one and seeing how they develop but uh, as we said earlier it's been that kind of year where Lamar Jackson is is right now your MVP at midseason but is, yep. will that will that happen at the end of the year uh, let's wait and see
1: Yeah interesting let's go to the world series for a minute cuz you mentioned it quickly and I'm a big baseball I love baseball and I love the baseball playoffs. Um, this is maybe the worst baseball playoff as a whole I can remember. Um, they only had a that that World Series game one, uh Braves and Phillies game two, and maybe a game or two in the um in the Astros Rangers series. Other than that, there just wasn't compelling baseball. Uh and I think it comes down to the way they handle pitchers. It's like it seemed like what from game to game, one coach was sort of like, oh, "All right, I'm going to do a bullpen tonight." It's like, "All right, well, you gave up eight runs, you lost that game eight to one." You know, then the next game, "Oh, okay, I'll, sh- I'll show my ace tonight." Okay, we won that night eight to one. There just wasn't a lot of balance in this playoffs. There wasn't the series weren't competitive. A lot of them were short, and it continued right into the World Series and really hurt them. What do you think about the the play of the games overall in the playoffs this year? You
2: cannot have bullpen games in the World Series. That's horrible. You just it's cannot. Horrible. Do that, yeah. you're downgrading your sport. Furthermore, I think the bigger issue is it it is now totally turned regional. If your team is out of it, and certainly let's give a little bit of props here to Manford for uh finally getting the clock installed, oh, yep. shortening the games, and attendance rows. That's great. The problem is we're in a TV era more than ever for sports. And just look at the National Football League, baseball's ratings are rock bottom worse than ever those world series ratings were worse than i ever thought they would be it's kind of a damn shame where we can't just ignore the fact they're the texas rangers and the arizona diamondbacks and say hey they have some terrific players and we should be watching this series it just didn't turn out that way i think the the regional nature of baseball is killing the sport in the postseason, when I was growing up, it wasn't all that long ago when baseball still ruled America. Hell, when I was nine years old, you know they'd send us home at, at one o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, you'd make fun of the teacher a little bit and, and run off and watch the World Series game in the afternoon. Yeah, those days the NFL has completely flipped the switch here, and the NFL has overtaken all of those ratings that baseball had in the '80s and flip-flopped it to the point where in the 90s when, you know, the owners are are fighting the union and and we had a World Series uh, scratched and it was ugly, um, that's when Michael Jordan, and that's when the National Football League bypassed uh, Major League Baseball. Go back to the 90s, mid-90s, and then we had steroid issues and so on. Baseball had nothing but problems from its heyday into the 2000s. And since then you've seen the the rise of the NFL and the NBA is now number two in that regard. And I don't know where baseball is right now. Certainly to go out and see it in the summertime, it's terrific. I go to games. But but I'll tell you what, man, when October hits, we're all over football now more than ever. And we're just not watching baseball. It's a niche sport now we're just watching it the way we would watch some sort of you know NASCAR race or something it's just not the same deal as it once was and you know all these owners do is they look at their bottom line hey we got more money coming than ever okay but that's not coming in from TV and I'll be curious if Rupert Murdoch's son Lachlan at Fox decides to keep riding this thing because they'll tell you you uh, from a media perspective that they 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 love the fact that they're still dominating other networks. Well, those days are gone, man. People have a thousand things to do uh, with their phones and so on. I don't care if they're dominating other networks. It's a it's a damn shame when all you can do is 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 draw these, you know, Eight nine million when just, you know, not that long ago, the, the most recent Super Bowl, we had 120 million watch the Super Bowl. That should, if anybody wants to sit here and argue with me, baseball as it pertains to football, there is no argument. Just compare the most recent World Series ratings to the most recent Super Bowl ratings. That's 10 times the amount. And uh, that's what bugs me about baseball. It didn't have to be this way. But, but a lot of older men back in the day there in the 90s and so on were so busy, busy fighting the union that they let the sport fall off the ledge in regard to a, a, a national perspective.
1: Let me ask you this, because you mentioned about baseball becoming regional, and that's a f- perfectly fair take. My question is, though, is any sport besides football not regional?
2: I would say I've, I've been writing a lot of recent columns on what's happening with for instance i wrote one yesterday about uh, you know what why do we see you know certain sports go overseas you know i can't handle the fact that the nfl right. is playing all of these yep. games in europe i can't handle it anymore that's one okay this is the afc season where the afc team has nine home games if you divide that up on your calculator that's about 12 percent of your season is spent in frankfurt or london and it's happening more and more and more now what i would tell you about the nfl is it is not a global sport goodell is out of his mind when he says oh we want to be a global sport i have been to paris i've been to these places the one place i have seen steve is mexico city where there are dallas fans And there are a loss in Las Vegas fans. Okay. Raider fans. Mm -hmm. But, but generally I'm not ever going to buy into the idea that in Europe, you can have a global sport. They care about soccer, soccer, soccer in Paris. They care about rugby, 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 the NFL. It's like Beyonce coming to town and yeah, we'll go out and see this American attraction, but they will never ever accept American football as part of what they do over there so for goodell to be all over this and instead of doing this in the preseason when it doesn't affect fans if i'm a kansas city chiefs season ticket holder and i've been one for 30 years i'm mad that they're playing a game at the height of their dynasty in frankfurt germany so, so to get back to your original question, what, what isn't regional? They're trying to make the NFL into a global sport. It's not that. Certainly the most national sport national I've sport. ever seen, yep, with gambling, national, yeah, yep. the gambling involved and so on, clearly uh, the biggest national sport we've ever seen. I would argue the NBA, I would, fans of the NBA will watch any team out there. But you know what? Baseball, it's to the point where, well, eh, it's Arizona. I'm not watching it. Uh, It's this team I'm not watching. No, you you have to be a Dodgers Braves type of fan, and even, even not them anymore. It's clearly just a summertime thing that people love to go out and watch at the ballpark, and that's great. But once the autumn hits, turn it off. Who cares if your team isn't in it, and we're watching the NFL.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think I agree about baseball and that like I said, I did just dis- disagree with your baseball point. I just think like even basketball, you look at their finals numbers, they were only at about eleven and a half million last year. You know, which is way down from say twenty nineteen when they were at seventeen, even twenty sixteen when they were in the twenty million. So I think basketball I think all the sports, like I-, I get a little upset when they oh it's the lowest ever, it's the lowest ever. Everyone is at their lowest ever because of cord cutting and the way habits have changed. Um, I think that the the key is going to be who can adapt to it the best. And maybe you could say right now the NBA and the nature of their sport seems like online they have the biggest and best presence. Um, right. And I just wonder, though, then the opposite problem for them is can they get those online fans into a linear direction? Can they get them off the phones and fans? Because I know like the NBA, they, they're great at promoting their stars, but you also have people who they don't have favorite teams. They have favorite players now. You know what I mean. So
2: I think the bigger issue is is the NFL and college football. It comes down to play to play to play to play, and you can gamble on. I'm not a big gambling guy, you know, but still, you can still gamble on all of that stuff. Play to play, it all all leads to a conclusion. Whereas if you're watching the NBA, is trying this in season tournament, which is hokey. I don't know anybody's. Wow, boy, the in season tournament's going on. No, that's a way to attract more money from ESPN and and Tur- the Warner Brothers Turner people and uh, Apple and all these others that want part of the NBA package. I agree with you when you say the NBA is ahead of the, the, the rest of the, the, the sports in regard to appealing to younger people. They have the sort of sport that appeals to younger people when you see some uh, astonishing dunk and you're yep. going to see more and more from Victor every every night. And that's great, but you can watch that on on a, on a separate link on your phone. Baseball doesn't have that. It's rare when you call, oh, there's another home run, oh boy. It just doesn't have that appeal to younger people and, and how it applies to them. So I agree with you on the NBA. I'll be curious how this all shakes out in the future. Uh, I would think, go, going back to our original point, If I had anything to do with running baseball, I would try to go to the owners and say, guys, 162 games is way too long when you can have your first round playoff uh, team out in a matter of a couple of days. That has never made sense to me, this discrepancy between the length, six-month length, of a major league season oh, and the brutal. short little playoff stuff. Yep. It makes zero sense to me why we've played these six months when you can be gone in four days. That's what I would do. Of course, that that's a joke because the owners are never going to give back what they already have. Right. If I, If I could, Steve, I'd shorten the season to five months and expand the playoffs to a month and a half, and then we would have a hell of a time, but that'll never happen.
1: You know, I'm a Braves fan because I grew up in Buffalo, and they were the only team I could watch every day. You know, on TBS. So from 1989, I've been a Braves fan, and I just think of their season this year. They're by far away the best for the whole season. And then, then you make them take six days off. You know, uh, and then try to ramp up again. And it's a three game, you know, five game series. And as soon as they lost game one, they were done. Because how would you like to be a Dodger fan? A Dodger and, and thing. go through all yep. of
2: this and then see Betts and Freeman do nothing and their pitchers go off the ledge. Yeah, I, I mean, what what have we just played these six months for?
1: Six days That's off is baseball bad. For baseball. In, but
2: they yep. just but they just run off to the bank. Okay, season's over, let's cash the checks. But wait a minute. What have you done to to maintain any sort of consistency of who is the very best? Team, I can tell you, in September, it wasn't the Texas Rangers, but they are now. So, right. really, what it comes down to, it's it's like the six month preseason of stuff, and then we're going to start the postseason and see who survives, who
3: gets the hottest.
1: Win ninety two, win ninety two to ninety four games, get in the tournament, make sure you play in that first round. I mean, look at you. Go to twenty nineteen. The Nationals were were one of the lowest records ever in july when they won the world series the braves and let's throw 2020 out because that was a weird COVID year 2021 braves they were not even 500 in at uh, the trade deadline uh 20 uh the year after them 2022 was you know the phillies got into the world series they were even worse than the braves were the year before you know obviously houston did win it they had there they had 100 wins okay fine houston's a weird unicorn in this sport and now this year you have texas and arizona both teams who, you know, didn't win their division, um, you know, uh played in the ninety-two, ninety-three win range, got the uh got to keep going and when the, the regular season ended and play right away. I think got you're hot one of the few people
2: it. out there. I think you're one of the few people out there who even seems to care who wins the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling that's where it's all going. <laughs> right. It's sort of all right, it's August, let's go to Dodgers Stadium, let's yeah. go hang out. Well what but you actually seem I care. do love the sport.
1: I love the sport. Well, uh, yeah. I,
2: and that's great. You yep. do. But I wish baseball people would hear you no, and be right. talking. Yep. I, w- I don't even know if I can tell you who won five years ago. Right. I mean, I have to think about it for a minute. I, I can tell you who has won the Super Bowl every year. I, I, I just think it's, it's a change of culture in America. The sport got old in a hurry. They're trying their damnedest. Uh, all the baseball people are assembled in Arizona this week. You have council in Chicago. You have Otani, you know, sitting on a Dodger deal, I assume. Yeah. And 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 that's but okay. And and then what? We all go away for a few months when we're all focused on the NFL. You know this. You list, You listen to talk radio and and everything. You're big into sports yeah, media. Yeah. The NFL is a twelve month sport the nfl season ends and you're immediately on the draft even though the draft isn't for two and a half months we're focusing on the yep. draft to the point where i want to strangle some of these ESPN people because they don't have to go in that direction but they they know what the ratings say and jay if you think you start about talking april talking about the draft you'll get
1: you'll get some listeners yeah think about april jay you got nba playoffs nhl playoffs major league baseball opening day the masters and what's the number one rated sporting event of the month the nfl draft by far, by far, and it and it's scary, yep. and it's on how many networks? Five networks? Yeah. Three? I
2: lost track. How many it's on? It's we're we're way we're way too over the top on this, but yet, what are they? Do you, do you know of any sports fans focused on what's going on in baseball? They are. I can tell you they are in Chicago because that that is one of the few.
1: It's a great baseball city. left.
2: Yep. it is a great baseball city. There are about five left. Boston, that's one New York, of
1: them. St. Louis, and they they go up. Yeah. They they
2: pull off a, a you know what a snagger that is running up ninety miles up the road and
1: getting Craig Council right. and stealing them from me. the Mets too. And the Mets were thinking they <laughs>
2: exactly were go. yep. from Cohen and everybody yep. just stole them away. Now that's how a big time sports city operates and and they unfortunately if you read my stuff you know they aren't very often there but that's a that's a big time move there and now we're waiting for Otani and then everybody shuts it down for a while and we'll all go back to uh, the Michigan situation in college football and then of course the rest of the NFL season but to to answer your original question in, in the show you know the NFL season is kind of dull because everything I've been focusing on lately, four columns in two weeks on Jim Harbaugh and that mess, in any any hour now, we're going to come to a conclusion there. And to me, that's the biggest story in sports in, in the last few months, that the number one team in the country uh, w- would go to these parallels to go out and steal signs when it's clear as day in a rule book. And we can all argue whether it should be in there or not. It is in there. And 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 they're breaking every rule, and you got a coach acting. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, well, you don't know anything about it, Jim. You, the Jim Harbaugh I remember from Chicago, and knows everything about everything. He doesn't suddenly not know this is going on. But anyway, I'm sorry to run off track here. But the, these are the sort of stories I'm into as well. Sure. These, these, these crazy-ass stories out of college football. Like, where does this come from? College football, with all its ramifications and NIL and a transfer portal, has been so off the wall the first two months where you've got 60 minutes and, and various news magazines running off to Boulder, Colorado, to do Deion Sanders stories, and now all of a sudden he's 4-5 and in and his coordinator doesn't get along with the defense and the offensive coordinator has his role taken away for another offensive coordinator to call plays pat Shermer, the old giants coach yep it's a it's a complete mess that we decided that deon sanders was the great transformer of college football and now he's probably not even going to make a ball game
1: probably not but if he wins one more game let's say he does that's still five times as many as they won last year um, so it's good. He's going to be able to paint that as success, because uh, he can talk.
2: I don't know, man. It's falling apart in a hurry. And Colorado State, which he barely got by in double right. overtime, is three and six. TCU is at a rough year. They're four and five. Right? Maybe the and worst. Nebraska, diff- yeah. The Nebraska worst just lost to Michigan State, which which had a, a fiasco with its head yeah, coach. Not a
1: signature win there. That's I sure. don't know
2: yeah. if they've had them. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, let's see where he goes from here. But, but let's cut off the books. He, he signed some book about 21 Ways to Solve Life or something. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I think we can cut the book off for a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we know Dion loves Dion, right? We know that. We've Whoa, known that sure since the 80s, for sure. A uh, couple of things that you've said I want to kind of go back on and, and talk about for a second. We've talked about the great success of the NFL and, and all the things they, um, you know, all the things that make them the king, which they undoubtedly are. We've also talked about a few things that, you know, I always, I've always said, you know, 100 years ago, it was baseball, horse racing, and boxing were the kings. Like, sometimes you can be the king and the king can fall. And the things that would make me nervous if I was in charge of the NFL and I'd want to make some changes to, uh, number one on that list would be the officiating. Um, because it's so incredibly bad now uh, that you can't watch an NFL. It's one of those things now you have to price in, right? Like, you go to a game knowing, all right, my team's going to get four bad calls against us. You just kind of have to accept it. My team, the legacy of my quarterback and coach was altered by the incompetence of NFL uh, officials. We had an NFC championship game stolen from us. And the only way anything will change is if that happens to Jerry Jones or one of the more powerful owners. And finally they say, what's the solution here? Do you see this as the crisis I do? Or do you think I just am so scarred that I'm blown out of proportion. <laughs> I I think we're all
2: baffled by bad officiating, especially <clears throat> excuse me, in the National Football League, which, you know, is pulling in what 120 billion in media rights this decade. Uh, I, I don't understand why we still have these issues. I have always thought that the NFL should have a select crew that it retains twelve months a year as part of its staff, put them through all sorts of training in the off season. Yeah, anything possible, film. make sure yeah. they're all younger, they're not old insurance men. Just, just bring them out here. It certainly isn't a money issue anymore. And yet we all have these issues, and a lot of it, Steve, involves gamblers, which should put the onus on Goodell to even improve his officiating more because when we have gamblers out there waiting on every damn field goal at the end of a game or whatever's going to happen there and you are so bent on gambling being part of your sport when only four years ago you were against it now all of a sudden we have deals with every sports book there is you would better take care of your officiating and they won't do it (laughs) That, that's my problem with officiating across the board in all sports, especially the NFL. Just fix it by hiring the best in the world and making them part of your, your team and give them pensions and deals for life and make sure your games are uh, you know, protected as well as you can. I just don't think they do that and they let something happen and we have these issues every week. It's shocking to me we still have that. At least the other sports, at least baseball is trying – uh, we're just about at the head here uh, at the, at the edge of seeing, know, umpires with strikes. nothing to do behind yep. home plate, yep. uh, let, you know, if that's what it comes down to fine instead of human, uh, error, I I've seen enough in decades of following sports in regard to human errors from umpires. I've had enough, uh, we don't see it in other sports. We, we shouldn't see it in the NFL.
1: Yeah, the hockey's doing a great job here. I want to give them props because they, they screw up a lot of things. Doing the right thing here. They've went to the junior leagues, to the colleges. They've recruited the people who've been in the sport their whole lives, are passionate about it. They're not going to make the NHL. Okay, here's another option. Come to us. We're going to train you in the junior leagues, hands-on training. We're going to go to Buffalo every year as a group. We're going to do training there. We're going to, And then we're going to have young officials who can skate with these guys. They've really done a great job. It's not there yet, but... You know, I would think that they're they do a lot wrong. I could tell you a million things they do wrong. They've gotten that right. Couple more and I'll let you go. The sports Gets is here with Jay Mariotti, one of the best sports writers of all time really. Uh J Wow. That's a hell of
2: a comment. Gee.
1: I'm just being fair. <laughs> I mean, you've done. how many years have you been writing columns at this level now?
2: I started writing a lot of people ask me, "What are you doing now? I write columns?" Yep. Well, what do you mean, What do you mean you write columns? Well, this is what, when I was 25, somebody made me a columnist, probably way too young to do it, but I learned at a young age how to do this craft of sports column writing. Well, when you start doing that, when you're at a young age, here comes some radio guy, we're going to make you a radio star, and here comes some TV guy at ESPN, we're going to make you a TV star, and all of a sudden, you've got radio here, and TV here, and your column here, and you're traveling here, and you don't have enough time in your day. When I was on Around the Horn eight years. I made damn sure I kept writing the column as much as I could, four or five, six times a week, because I didn't want anybody forgetting what I did for a living. Now, were some of those columns probably bad? Yeah, I was exhausted. But I didn't want to do what some of these guys do. Okay, I'm done with column writing. I'm now a big star on like TV. Like Cornheiser retired okay. essentially from- I mean, I mean, well, yeah. All yeah. of them. They, they retired about- their column. Do they realize? Yep. Not taking any shots at them. They were better columnists than they were on TV. Were but when they start columnists. waving the yep. money at you, oh, yep. uh, we don't need to do a column anymore. Oh, yes, you do. So anyway, people say, what do you do now? I write, in my opinion, because, Steve, I look at this stuff every single day. I want to see somebody five, six days a week writing an American sports column like I do. Match me. Now, Sally Jenkins, Washington Post, wonderful column. She writes like once a month. She never writes. Here in L.A., Plashkey drives me crazy, but he's a great columnist who hits all edges of a spectrum. He's great. And I go around the country, and there's a couple at the Washington Post, The Athletic, I don't know what they're doing with columnists. I don't think they have any again. Yeah, they don't know Uh, either. I don't know what is going on here, but what we all strive to do, write a sports column, it doesn't exist anymore in Chicago. Don't get me started. They don't exist. They write once a week, and you lose track of your topic in this day and age When something happens, you're going to pretty much write it that hour. If you're waiting for a week for something to happen, you're going to lose track. And people are going to, why am I reading this old stuff? Why would I keep buying this operation? Well, that's one of the reasons newspapers have died. Editors have let them die. Publishers. So I do right now what I think should be done by a lot of operations out there. You need to, to strategize with two or three great column writing sports journalists and i emphasize journalism because it should exist i saw dan patrick the other day is arguing with the guy at si.com about the future of the business they're arguing about pat mcafee and and but patrick who has broken a lot of stories in his life i i should tell you as a journalist says to the writer I can't control this anymore. I think journalism's dead. Oof. That's what Dan Patrick said. I think it's dead. Dan, you're Mr. Journalist. What are you doing? I don't even dead. Maybe he's making fun of the whole McAfee thing. But if I'm teaching a young kid right in... Stop me if I'm going too far. No, you're but fine. But if I'm don't. teaching a young kid now about this business, this you either A, you become Pat McAfee. That means you, gotta, you had to play the game... You know, yep. maybe not wear that same damn black shirt every single day. Maybe put something else on other than that. My, so, does he wash it every day? I'm worried his, I'm worried his armpit hair is going to hit somebody. His because ca- it's, it's
1: like Homer Simpson. It's just right, a bunch of He's those
2: very characters. nice guy. Nicest guy in the world. Pat McAfee. Okay. two, become Scott Van Pelt, you're a gambling fool. You're, I don't know what else you're adding anything, but you've become known for your gambling stuff more than anything when yeah, you've got South at East. least six percent six percent of a you know of, of gamblers in America have major problems. ESPN has forgotten about those six percent. and then you and then you got Stephen A. Smith who has good gig. But but he's very careful when who he criticizes and who he doesn't. He does he he would never ever go after an influential owner. He kisses butts with Jerry Jones, and and he doesn't. He knows what he's doing there, and that that's pretty much the business. Where else do you go? Other than in those three directions, I'm not quite sure. I can tell you where I go if
1: you want to know. Where do you Where do you go? I go right to the source. It's independence now. It's people working for themselves. It's Jay Mariotti. It's New Orleans stop football. You know, it's uh, Taylor Dunn on the football side. Go long td.com. Really, that's what it's been. People who are working for themselves are making the best. Are doing the best work now, and that's what. Well, I'm, well I, that's I would I'm tell consuming. you this:
2: that, that in my in my 30 years in the heyday of this business, thank God, I made a lot of money. But what, what? Okay, if I do what I do now, and you read my stuff, and I'm pretty harsh on some people. Yeah, you do realize that one of those people, sports has become so damned big these days, will get to my boss and get my ass out of there because who are you in this? And my boss at ESPN or whatever newspaper is left or something is going to say, yeah. We don't need him because we need you more than we need him. Right? We just That's, saw it that's the how NBA, the business right? has
1: changed. We just seen it happen with the NBA, the uh, number one team on TV on ESPN. They laid off Van Gundy. I mean, that seems to have come back right from Gundy, the league. Van Gundy, what a
2: joke that is because, because of course, Adam Silver was mad yep. at Van Gundy because of the comments the he had made about yep. officiating yep. constantly. And, of course, when Adam has his nice little sit-down with Jimmy Pitaro at ESPN – we got to do something about Jeff. We need yep. to
1: promote Doris uh, Jeff.
2: Yep. I'm. I want Jeff, who is now what with the Celtics now, isn't that great? What if he had to coach that? That they're not in position to be coached. They're doing great, but if he had to be the head coach in the NBA, it would be classic. I would love to hear Van Gundy go off on ESPN. He hasn't said a word since the whole thing happened. Yeah, I would love road. to hear him say and make people out there. And I've tried to tell the people this forever about me my situation has nothing to do with anything but jay you're a hard ass in chicago Reinsdorf hated you this guy hated you and they spread the word about you that's the deal with me there's nothing else going on with me it's you were too harsh to very strong powerful people in sports if you try to come out that way today yeah you can be as you say independent but you're going to take the hit financially. It's I'm I'm proud as hell to come out independently every day, but you've got to have the right tools behind you. Journalistically, you have to have the right site. You have to have a boss who is, is with you doesn't turn on you and stab you in the back. That's almost impossible today because all the bosses above you want to be in bed with sports. So it makes it hard for an independent guy to do his thing. I'd love to go back to Chicago right now and kick some ass in that town. Nobody kicks any ass anywhere. They're all scared to death. They don't want to be me. And by the way, I left there. I need to point that. Every now and then I read somebody say, we ran his ass. No, I handed back a million dollars and right. left there. You That's talked the about story. it the first time you were out there. I yeah. left there. Nobody got rid of me. Yep. I, I, well, I know, because I think all hell would have the longer I would have been there, all hell would have broken loose. As it wasn't around the horn, things are getting dicey. It was just you're too strong in certain opinions and you can't go there and i didn't get in this business for somebody to tell me you can't go there that's not why i'm doing
1: it so what i'm doing now i go there i write what i want speaking of writing what you want uh you wrote about bobby knight uh who passed away last week one of the all-time characters in the history of sports one of the great coaches and one of the more controversial figures love him or hate him kind of a guy you wrote a great column about him i'd almost like to Almost wish it was a couple of pages longer, just because I know where you wrote, where you were, your position. You probably have a ton of great Knight stories. What do you think about Knight and his legacy and and kind of his impact on sports as we say goodbye to him here in twenty twenty three? I'm not
2: a big fan of obituary columns. I, I sometimes that's fair. I yeah that's fair. I
1: pass. It's
2: hard for me to write about somebody's life when he can do it better. But he was such a powerhouse figure in the 80s, the 90s in this country that I had to, because I was in the middle of it all. And yeah, as I led that column last week, me and another, we I was probably 26 then, and we get invited up to Bloomington, me and another columnist in Cincinnati, go up there, they darkened Assembly Hall, it's at night, we're just sitting there in two chairs, is this guy ever going to show up? It's <laughs> dark, and all of a sudden from behind, Hi, I'm Bob Knight. What can I do for you? And sat down for an hour in the dark and gave us this unbelievable story about what he wanted to do with young people. Never raised his voice, never stuffed a fan in a trash can, never threw a chair across the court, never did anything. His awful comment about rape, none of that. He was just a calm guy he comes to Cincinnati that weekend and he gets into a fight with, with a uh, with an official and he goes to a, a, a an old phone on press row and slams it with hand, slams the thing at halftime. and I called up the scene and there are two guys from CBS at halftime James Brown and Jim Nance and Jim Nance in the in the nicest voice possible, hey, uh, JB, we got Bob Knight causing some issues. What do you think of this? (laughs) 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 And Jim Brown, believe it or not, or uh, James Brown, believe it or not, goes um, uh, I would think Coach Knight wouldn't take this too far. (laughs) Right. And he goes on to win the national championship that year and probably should have retired on the spot because from that point on, he's trying to prove that he knows more about sports than anybody on earth, and I know how to rattle these kids up. All he did was fight the world until he choked Neil Reed and... Two, in 1999, and then the next year, he gets into it with a kid on campus, and they and basically they they had to get rid of him. He should have quit when he won his third championship in 1987, but you know, he a guy like that has to carry on. It's sad how he died. Uh, I I it just I wanted to bring that point out that a man like this could actually settle down once he had you in his little cave there at Assembly Hall. He could actually settle down and give you a great story, that turned out to be a lot of bunk because four days later he's pounding a phone on press row. <laughs> so anyway, that that's the whole night story.
1: I actually had to see his last game coaching Indiana was in Buffalo. The first time I ever went to the NCAA tournament, they lost to Pepperdine, I believe. Yeah, and yep. the, and the first round upset to Pepperdine, and then uh, he was gone. That you know that. Whenever that scandal happened it, in the this. It, you know, it, there were too
2: many scandals and it yep. blows me away that Miles Brand, the president of IU only suspended him for three games when it was clear as day that he choked Neil Reed at practice and he suspended him for three days. that that allowed those Hoosier fans to make the decision for the president. It's just the Hoosier fan that see, this is well, how I ended that column was, Thank you for drawing a line between a, a time when coaches could could humiliate and abuse athletes uh, in, in just sick ways. Thank you for drawing a line to now where none of that could last for an hour. Anytime there's an issue today about anything like that, the coach is gone. Yeah, so I want to yep. thank him for creating a little bit of transition here between the past the last century and the 21st century. And and I think that's what Knight did in the end. Mike Shashevsky, one of the great, uh, I, I I just remember thinking about, you know, Coach K was such a, you know, a, a student of Bob Knight. He took the best of Bob Knight and he left alone the worst. And that's the best I can say about Shashevsky is that he knew there was certain parts of Bob Knight he had to uh, kick away and yet he took the best of Bob Knight his passion and intensity and that led coach K to the greatest uh, college basketball career although I am five miles from John Wooden at right. UCLA, UCLA. I need yeah. to point that out but K you know goes goes down as he should have
1: uh you can follow Jay Mariotti on Twitter he's at Mariotti sports there and of course his wonderful dot jaymariotti.substack.com let's get you out of here on this what uh What's at the top of your notebook? What are you waiting to see play out here in the next? Between now and Christmas. I am am waiting for
2: Jim Harbaugh. I want to see this go down. I'll be curious to see if Tony Petiti, who is now running the Big Ten, you came from baseball, okay? So he was thrown into this sudden situation in the Big Ten. Now, is he going to respond to the coaches and the ADs who have peppered him with calls in the last few weeks? Or... Is he going to do one of these things that we often see in sports? Well, let's see. We'll suspend Jim for two two games and be back for Ohio State, and he'll be back for the playoff. Uh-uh. Too much has happened here. There, And, and by the way, Harbaugh has other issues beyond this uh, that they are investigating him for. It's not just this. It's many issues with Jim. I think he's already lining up his next NFL job, maybe the Raiders, uh you know, not the Bears, but a, a team like the Raiders. he he's out of there. He's waiting for this to go down. Let's see if Petiti is going to be more loyal to Michigan and its championship quest or be more loyal to all the people in in uh, the big Ten who want Jim out of there.
1: Well I was gonna say, I think I could see like you the writing on the wall that Harbaugh is gonna you know maybe pull a Pete Carroll here kind of just get out go to the NFL as the heat comes on here but what happens to the actual Michigan team this year I mean they're what 9 games into undefeated they they got Ohio State at home I mean they're could easily win this thing do they just get shut down do they get you know I don't think they shut them down they let them keep playing the problem is
2: what his number one assistant coach wasn't aware of the same problems they were having with sign stealing. He was aware too. It's not just Harbaugh. Right. It's all staff knew. If if I'm reading this properly, if this Connor Stallions character was around as often as he was, then everybody kind of knew what he was doing. Unless I must be some doofus from some other planet. Oh, Connor was allowed to just head off to these dozens of games on behalf of Michigan. Really? I don't think so. I think college football coaches know about everything, including the amount of dirt on you know, under somebody's fingernail or something. And yeah, I think they know what Connor Stallions was doing. Yeah, they don't miss that. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't miss anything. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether Petiti is going to protect the league. And remember, when a team goes to the CFP college football playoff, they make a certain amount of money for the whole league. Sure. I don't I don't want to see that. I would like to see Jim buy Jim, you're gone for six games. In 2023, bye. You're gone for the rest of the year. Figure out who's going to coach them. It, 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 the kids shouldn't be affected. Let them play. Maybe they'll win. Once upon a time, this one's happened at Michigan, Michigan. You remember the Fab Five and all their oh, fiasco. Yeah. yeah, remember that. Oh yeah. I mean, you remember remember when uh, Bill Frieder took over Michigan. This is way back in the day, but he took over a college basketball program. They've had a lot of issues at Michigan, a, a fine university, Michigan, where uh, this this is this is really, to me, rock bottom in sports. The gym who's been around forever and knows how to break every rule there is uh, has done this. Let's see where it goes. I'm watching Petiti closely. I don't think he was re- expecting this in his in his first few months on the job. I think he was just awaiting you know, Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA next year. I think this is stunning, and I think all eyes are on him right
1: now. Well, we got to give a shout-out then, after all that, to Red Berenson, the longtime Michigan hockey coach, 1984 to 2017, zero scandal. So shout-out to Wow. To Wow. 23 years straight of making the NCAA <laughs> hockey tournament, too. So they also have a great deli there called Zingerman's
2: mm, in Zingerman. Ann Arbor. That's that's a great if you're ever in Ann Arbor for Michigan. Uh by the way, the game is in Ann Arbor this year, right? Yeah. Right? The Ohio yep. State, Michigan. Yeah. Yep. That that's if he is suspended, that'd be that'd be one of the crazier scenes we've seen in sports in a while. And I yeah, I to, just to answer your question, I think they will. They will cut him. It's just a matter for how long. If it's two games, Petiti should be run out of the job. If it's for the rest of the year, then I would applaud him. That would be appropriate.
1: Saturday the twenty fifth at noon is that Ohio State game. Uh, any questions for me? Anything else you want to plug before I let you get out of here and enjoy the Southern I, I think California I asked you, weather?
2: Thank you, man. I, yeah. I I always ask you this: what what how how's the podcast going? You know, you've had a lot of great ink through the years. Yeah. Uh, and and you know what 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 kind of cracked me up about Dion was your guy? That was my guy. Wertheim Wertheim really, really... ran out to see now, Dion. In, in
1: fairness, though, <laughs> Wertheim ran out to see him when he's at the HBCU. That was just an update of the HSBCU story. Yeah, but he did, But he did, though, go out. He did out do the update. With,
2: yep, he did do right. the update. When they were 3-0, and 0, he yep. wanted to do an update. Yep. We're going to have to blame him for that because they're <laughs> one of them five since. Uh, I gotta no, but he did guy, a great yeah. story on you, <laughs> he did, and yeah. I've sent your I've sent your story out to people. I appreciate I don't that. do a lot of these, but yeah. I enjoy doing yours. Good. And uh, and um, So how, how's the whole shebang going right it's now? It's good.
1: It's been a good year. I've been healthy this year. Uh, staying on the right side of the uh, hospital, on the outside of it. Uh, so having a good year and uh, still love to do it and love talking to people. Like, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, the great sports. Writers, like that. I was I'm a sports media nerd. You know, every Monday I would go by the USA Today. And the first thing I would read is, you know, Rudy Marsky's column. You know, that's the kind of guy I am. I've always been. Well, that let, me, way. let me ask you, you this. Know?
2: What happened to the great American sports columnists? I'll, I'll ask you. I don't happen.
1: I, I don't know. They got swept up in the chain. It's like. The I was uh, Damon Hack is I'll give you him as an example. He came came on the show in the beginning because he had written an unbelievable gamer on a on a Denver uh, New York Jets Monday Night Football game. He wrote the gamer on it, and he came on. He talked about it. Then like two years later, and he's he's been on all the time since he came on. And we were both saying like they don't have gamers anymore, that died, you know. And it seemed like that went first, and now the column. What is the sports page now? I don't know. Like I said, I'm reading everybody independently. It seems like I got the athletic. I don't love it though. I don't go to it much. You know, if they didn't, they didn't basically give it away. These
2: crazy periods where, oh. Here comes Jim Trotter, our next. Uh, we we finally hired a national columnist. Says, okay, well, finally they have one. And next thing you know, he is suing Roger Goodell and can't write <laughs> right. about the NFL. Well, that is his baby, the NFL. I don't right. want to read him on hockey. <laughs> right. I don't want to. Read, I don't care. And yeah. yet, I looked him up the other day. Does he exist? So I saw a couple of pieces he wrote about Lincoln Riley and what's going on with USC oh, football. I snake and that I, guy. He didn't. That's not. What are we? What? What? Where'd you go? What? happened to this great net and then i'll read this stuff and the way it's floated out there with their app they just what it, it just reads like an old style app we're throwing this out there because it's new well that's not really doesn't belong up there at least ESPN.com will throw the best story on top of its app but not the athletic athletic's losing me man they, they yeah. let too many old style newspaper people take over this thing think they're turning around sports coverage it's they're losing me man they still have 400 people they've lost great writers like bob kravitz gets laid off on their best writers uh you you'd be you'd be blown away at what they're doing and how in the end i just think they're going to end up when i met with these guys once upon a time the two original founders i said why don't you hire the best 100 writers in america throw them out there instead they've got 400 i think half of them don't know what to do they have two chicago blackhawks writers why I, they have a great star i think one would work not two uh and and i could go on and on with what they're doing if they are the future of the sports writing business i wouldn't urge anybody ever to get into it because they don't know at the top what they're doing there. And there you go, man. It's too soft. All their stuff is too soft. If you look at their lead story every day, A1, whatever they call it, it's always soft. It's always soft. I can't, there's so much to sports that's great and good and mediocre and bad and porous. It's all, you have to cover it all. You just don't make everything soft because you think people want to read that. People want everything when they're reading about sports.
1: I used to get off the bus on Thursdays. I knew Sports Illustrated would be in the mailbox. I'd go to the mailbox. I'd turn it to the back page. And I would walk into my house reading the Rick Riley column. Then I'd finish it in our boot room, standing there at the door. My mom would be like, are you going to come in the house? Like, yeah, in a few minutes. Laughing your I, ass off. I don't know yep. what the equivalent of that is now. I don't know where you f- – there isn't one. You know, I don't know where they you – They don't have one. It doesn't exist.
2: It's like they've been f- just funneled out the door. Rick, by the way, who had phenomenal career – now yeah. just just he's, you know, three, you know, stops down for me on the Pacific Ocean and he, he swims every day. He rides his board. He doesn't care about right. I think the Washington Post runs this stuff twice a year. All of these great writers in the past, Gary Smith,
1: Rick Riley,
2: I can't, I I just I don't know what happens. SL Price
1: sort of, one of my favorites, SL Price. He's been writing a Oh, book. he's great too. Yeah, L. he's L. been writing there. a book about lacrosse I mean, yes, or excuse me, S I kind of ran him out I don't know why they would do that uh and he's like okay I'm gonna write a book I'm gonna go a passion project I'm writing a book about lacrosse it's gonna take me three years you know Jane Levy puts a book out every four or five years I mean you know it, you know what it's like it's like a rock and roll fan I feel like okay I've seen Bob Seger for the last time I've seen Rush for the last time I've seen Van Halen for the last time you know I still have Pearl Jam how long is it? it feels like that with writing it's like my favorites They're going away. They've retired. You got to do, unfortunately,
2: you got to do what your boss, now more than ever. I can speak for this. Your boss is going to tell you what to do. And chances are I might say, I don't think I'm going to go that way. They want people they can control at the top of these companies. Well, you don't become a writer to be controlled. And if you're a columnist, nobody is controlling you. You can't get the place sued. But if if you're gonna just sit there and just listen to what somebody on high is telling you how to write your column, ain't gonna work. It's a, you got it. There's too much going on in sports now, more than ever, ever before, for there to be a such such a a, a little scant notice of good column writing. On I I can't tell you what's been going on with the, the Jim Harbaugh story. I, I don't know who stands on what anywhere right. about this. The other thing I'm noticing is a, a regionalized nature of sports writing. When you are in a particular – Plaschke is the exception of this. He'll write anything. But when you're in a particular town, you tend to go toward the teams. You're more of a – you're not going to go against those teams because you're working in that – local republic where the owners of the teams are going to go after a columnist i know in buffalo it happened to jerry sullivan it it, it happens in all sorts of towns where it'll happen when you write too many things that piss somebody off in power they will try to come after you and now more than ever it's likely to happen
1: i am lucky in buffalo here with the sabers um you know the late great jim kelly Uh, One of the great hockey sports writers of all time, Uh, you you know, wrote here for years and years, wrote his last column literally on his deathbed. Uh, He groomed uh, Mike uh, Harrington, who still is great to this day. So I still have Mike Harrington and he writes the inside the NHL column. So we still have that little uh, glimmer here. And I'm sure there's different pockets of the country who can say the same thing. Well, I got this guy at least I got this guy, you know, this guy trained under Dr. Z or whatever. But like I said, it's fading. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for all the time. Maybe around Super Bowl a little bit after that, we hook up again and see what's on your mind. I always love to hear it.
2: Let's do it, man. I love your baseball passion. Don't give up on
1: <laughs> I it. I won't. I always love the. I always love the crack of the bat. Thanks, Jay. Take care, man. Bye. The men loose, 73. From Drop under, All right. I want to thank Jay Mariotti. Always awesome. Always love talking to Jay. I think anytime I'm down about the future of the sportscasters, gotta listen to a Jay. Mar- <laughs> gotta interview Jay Mariotti. Snaps me right out of it. All right, book club update. Let's do it real quick. In a minute, we're going to have Doug McLean and Scott Morrison on the program to promote their book, Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. Uh, I love this book. I want to thank Simon & Schuster in Canada for thinking of me and sending it to me and letting me be a part of reading it and promoting it. It's really fantastic. A really great job by Doug and Scott, and we'll talk all about it uh, here in a second. Uh, Don't forget wingmen. The Unlikely, Unusual, Unbreakable Friendship Between John Glenn and Ted Williams by our friend Adam Lazarus. What a Dude, What a Book. Been one of the most popular, high-selling books on Amazon since it's been released in the baseball section. A Mike for All Seasons, My Three Decades, Announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and the Olympics by Kenny Albert with forwards from Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier. Now that I'm done with draft day, I'm going to start this. And uh, as soon as I'm done, we'll have Kenny on. We'll get to talk to him about the book. You know, I'm most excited. I've felt over the years interviewing Kenny, bringing up Marv was difficult. That he, it was something that seemed like he didn't want to talk about. Well, my guess is he wrote about it. It's going to be a more on-the-table topic. And I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about the dynamic between Kenny and Marv uh, when I read the book. One more hockey one for this year. It's by Ken Reed, Hometown Hockey Heroes. Uh, This is one that Simon & Schuster also up in Canada got me hooked up with. We'll talk to uh, Ken before we break for the year. And then this, I imagine, is a project for the spring. Uh, But I did receive an advanced reader's edition of Charlie Hustle, The Rise and Fall of Pete Rose and the Last of Glory Days of Baseball by Keith O'Brien. I'm looking forward to reading this. I'm looking forward to having Keith O'Brien on the show eventually. Uh, When this does come out and we get to uh, speak to him about it, um, that's what's on my desk now. I don't think I'll add anything uh, before the end of the year. I think we'll just kind of clear off, finish these books up, and then we'll get started in January uh, with uh, some new stuff. But um, also I wanted to mention I noticed on Facebook the first lady of the sportscasters, Jane Levy, uh, mentioned that she is writing a new book on the future of baseball. Uh, and I reached out on email hoping to find out more. Haven't heard back yet, but uh, hopefully fi- we'll find out exactly what it is Jane's uh, writing. And of course, as it's been since she put out her book on Mickey Mantle, The Last Boy, uh, we'll have Jane on to speak all about it. So uh, looking forward to that. All right, let's take a break. Let's deal with draft day. We'll be right back with Doug McLean and Scott Morrison. All right, our next guest today have worked together to create a fantastic book called Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind. Scott Morrison is one author of the book. He's making his second appearance on the show today. And Doug McLean, the main name on the byline, is making a debut. He was the GM for a long time of the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm excited to have him on the podcast today. A warm welcome to Doug and Scott. Scott Morrison, how are you doing today? Welcome back to the Sportscasters. It's great to be back, Stephen. thanks for having me. And thank you for bringing Doug McClain. Doug, welcome. First-timer.
3: Yeah, thanks a lot.
0: Appreciate it.
1: I uh, I have uh, been, you know, obviously a hockey fan my whole life, and uh, it's an honor to have you. I remember actually one time I was in Columbus for uh, a Sabres and Columbus game, and... Uh, you were, you were walking the hall. I said, I told my brother, I said, that's their GM. My brother's, and you're going to love this. My brother said, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> great. Big yeah. deal. Yeah. He was, he was pumped. You know, I was, I was all excited to tell him like, Oh, Greg, look, that's, that's Columbus's GM. And he said, Oh, <laughs> Oh, big, big deal. <laughs> uh, Scott, how, how did you and Doug hook up for this project? Well, obviously, we've known each other
3: for many years back when Doug was an assistant coach, and uh, I guess St. Louis was the start, and then uh, over the years, and uh, we worked together uh, at Sportsnet for a number of years, and uh, we left Sportsnet at the same time, and uh, just about that time, uh, the book idea got hatched, and... Uh, um, the publisher po- approached Doug, and he can elaborate more. And then they came to me to see if I would uh, would help them with the project. And I said, for sure, I think I thought it would be a lot of fun. And and it turned out to be uh, more fun than
1: I would even anticipated. Yeah, Doug, elaborate more for us.
0: Yeah, you know what is funny? I I got a call from Simon and Schuster about doing a book, and I thought, no, I'm not really interested in doing a book, and and. And then uh, they said, well, no, it's it's not about you, it's about the draft. So then I thought, well, okay, I have a little bit of interest. So then they talked, you know, they were you know they were sort of looking at the moneyball uh, baseball story, and they thought, you know, maybe we can do something similar. So uh, when when they moved to the draft, I was I was intrigued by it, to say the least, you know, it was just uh, something I'd never really seen anything written on and then, uh, we talked about uh, Scott joining us, and it was uh, I, it was perfect uh, to get Scott. Uh, he did a great job, and he's a lot of experience. So it was, uh, and we're friends. So we we did, in fact, have a lot of fun. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't it it, it was three year project for us. We were delayed a couple of times, obviously with COVID, COVID and so yeah. on. But uh, overall, it 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 was a it was fun, and and we're pretty proud of the of the finished
1: product. I, I read a lot of sports books here and sometimes they're straight memoirs. I've read a billion of those, you know, And but what I really enjoy is when you get a book like this where there's an element of memoir where, you know, I feel like there was definitely time, especially in the beginning. Um, you guys put the time in to sort of tell Doug's story and I appreciate that, but there's something about it when the memoir sort of leads to a bigger narrative you know, about something else. And I thought, you know, and this is a classic example of that where the narrative leads you to, the memoir part leads you to be a NHL GM, which leads to the bigger narrative of the draft. I always really enjoy those. Um, and I like the way this worked out here, Scott.
3: A lot of the stories were stuff that involved Doug over his career. So you had to tell the background of uh, of who he was and how he got to, uh, to the NHL. And uh, uh, even though, you know, in recent years the well-known personality on tv and radio and all of that but uh, you know for some people you've got to remind them of uh, just how ex- extensive his background was and and it helps to personalize a lot of the stories too and it's just not somebody telling other people's stories but it's um stories from people that they were involved with or uh, were involved with themselves you know when he tells the story of how he drafted rick nash and the, all the machinations of something like that that's the fascinating stories
1: yeah. Yeah, the Nash chapter was great. Doug, did you guys sort of like did you have like a big a picture like a um a whiteboard or something like we gotta tell the Lindros story, we gotta tell the you know, first time it was in front of fans, uh the time the Canadians did this, you know, did you have something like that or you know was it just a more it, natural it, telling of the stories you knew best, or how did you decide on what to tell?
0: You know what? It was sort of it was sort of different. I, I sort of started and i i just outlined because i'd never done a book and never really uh, you know wasn't much of a writer so i thought okay so i i just jotted down what i thought might be like 10 or so 10 or 12 chapter names and then i would just i by myself filling in some notes on each chapter you know so, uh, you know and as uh, you know when scott joined and as the book evolved obviously you know um I had a chapter called Sid, Sid's Draft, and it became the Pittsburgh model. And, you know, so it sort of evolved, but it was sort of followed similar. I had the Rick Nash draft. I had Jared Ev draft. I had Brule draft because they were the ones I was most criticized for or or credited for. So, you know, I knew I wanted to touch on some of those and, you know the the doing the you know the list and how the list is put together in the war room. I mean, it was pretty easy to come up with uh, names, but you know, as we got into it, we had the Montreal stuff, so it was a natural to have you know the greatest GM in history, Sam Pollock, and the you know what Pollock, yeah. what he did. So I you know Lindros was a chapter that came along later, and you know Scott mentioned you know that. Maybe we should you know we we should touch on the Lindros, and we had Pierre Paget help us with that. So really that was a, that turned out to be a great chapter.
3: So I don't even recall how that came about, Scott. Yeah, I think we sort of had a lot of the chapters evolved as we as we moved along and got deeper into it. and I, I should mention that we had a, a good friend Tim Warnsby, veteran journalist who is a, a a draft expert over the years. He was helping us behind the scenes and coming up with ideas as well. And so, um, yeah, you're just trying to focus on what were the the big historical drafts and make sure you tell the stories behind that. And Lindros obviously was, uh, you know, his draft itself was uh, anticlimactic because everybody knew he should be the first pick. But I guess it was dramatic because not everybody was 100% certain that Quebec would take him at that point. They desperately wanted to convince him to come. But then the following year for the, for the two trades and all the all the trade talks right down to when the draft started was just, you know, was one of the biggest stories ever on a, on a draft day.
0: And, yeah, and what was really fun about that was Pierre Paget, who is a friend of ours and we've known forever, agreed. You know, he when I touched base with him about the draft, he said, uh, God, I kept every, every note. Uh, from that draft, I had every note of everybody I talked to and every trade that was offered. So he, he, uh, Scott and I got on the phone with him and I mean, he filled our ears and we thought, wow, this is going to be a, a great chapter. And it really has, uh, taken on a life of its own, that chapter. So it's kind of fun.
1: I grew up in, uh, in West Seneca, New York. So let's, you know, a suburb of Buffalo, And when Lindros wouldn't play for Sault Ste. Marie, uh, he played for Detroit Honeybake. I think you mentioned in the book. And they played a game at the West Seneca town rink, like uh, the, uh, you know, where we open skate on uh, Tuesdays, you know, and rent this, like the little town rink. And um, my dad, me and my dad went, and uh, he knew the Zamboni drivers really well, so we were able to get a spot, but... I wish you guys could have seen what West Seneca Town Rink was like that night. Because everybody knew Lindros by then. And, um, man, it was so packed. It was one of those the Fire Marshal's sweating somewhere, you know, (laughs) type of nights. And from that day forward, I was fascinated with him. And and it's fascinating, too, to think that, you know, that draft. Niedermeyer is there at three, you know, is the third pick, an all-time Hall of Famer there. You know, so yeah. you know, and and just the the number of different trades, the the names. You know, Iserman is in that chapter as as rumored to get floated for a trade. You know, um, right. the huge the huge yeah. package with the Rangers, the arbitration, and you know, the way it changed yeah. rules. It it really sort of had everything.
0: Yeah, it it really did, and I I was in I enjoyed you know just listening to Pierre tell Scott and I the the the. Offers and Scott and I were saying, Oh man, this is this is gonna really hit it out of the park here because there's so many great stories, you know. And like you said, Lindros, I I love when Pierre said, You know, everybody said he was he was this guy, he was that guy, but really he was a six foot five Gordy Howe, right? Is yeah. how Pierre described him. And I thought, Wow, that was that was even a pretty cool description of, of how dominant this kid was from the time he was like 10 till he was
3: i mean he was world famous at 16 this kid yeah yeah he was in the, was in the same conversation i mean i covered him at the time coming up and then uh, in those early years through those draft the two drafts and he was called the next one it was going to be from gretzky to lemieux to lindros and i think because of time and maybe because his career was cut short people forget just how great he really was i mean he made team canada in the 87 canada cup right. before before he got in the league so i mean yeah he was a phenomenal talent and you, you think of the names that were listed from you know the various teams and the offers or the ass, and that speaks to just how how much he was revered by all these teams that you you have names like that thrown around and you know, Doug lived it in Detroit with the the offers that they were putting through, and uh, just how intense it was. And I can remember—I mean, that thing went right down to the start of the draft before it was finally finalized. It I mean, ultimately, two two trades. But I think what's interesting there, and that's reported for the first time, as far as I can tell, is how those.
1: Scott's got the stubborn phone today.
3: That it wasn't uh, underhanded yeah. dealings entirely. It was a little bit of confusion. at
1: uh, Right. It was ultimately the piece of paper, right, that, it, that, that saved um, Philadelphia to, to get him, right? That sheet of paper was key.
3: Yeah. Just that the two trades evolved because of a disconnection at the Quebec and Marcel Boo running wild. And uh, Pierre trying to do things the right way. But yeah.
1: All right, let's give it. Let's get a chance. Piece of
3: paper that Obu gave to uh, to Snyder was uh, ultimately the deciding factor. And and it's funny because there might have been maybe the Ranger deal looked better at the time when they were not thinking the Philly was going to happen. But the arbitrator did them a huge favor as that trade or as the as the trade evolved and and the players got back.
1: Yeah, I was interested in the book how you guys mentioned that you know Forsberg. What well, you, you can't think of him as Forsberg exactly when you're looking at that trade. You know, because even though he was a, a huge prospect, that you mentioned he's a little shorter, a little slower, you know, maybe not the the sure thing that obviously he turned into. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, too. It was mentioned in that chapter that, uh, Scott, you mentioned how he made the Canada Cup team, and Scotty Bowman cut Iserman to keep him. Unbelievable. Which, which is wild. <laughs> wild. It was
3: actually Mike Keenan cut him. Or
1: Keenan, I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Keenan. Uh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, and, and I think you know what uh, what was said was H- Forsberg and, and Pierre said it people said you know Forsberg was clo- to, close to Lindros at the time he said no it wasn't even remotely close right. because Forsberg grew and became a a much tougher kid as you alluded to so if people say well as you know wouldn't have done it one for one he said it wasn't even close at the time of the trade between Forsberg and Lindros but Forsberg certainly Caught up and had a, an amazing
3: career. And didn't arrive until three seasons later. Yeah, exactly. Right.
1: And really didn't, I think, maybe you guys will agree or disagree, it was more that Olympics that, you know, really he became the huge star. Name, the huge star. Seems like that happens yeah. a lot with the draft, too. You know, like Patrick Kane ascended to the first overall pick, I think, largely because of how good he was in the World Juniors. You know, yeah. uh, certainly Pavel Bure, when he, you know, his first – announced himself at that Alaska um, uh, World Juniors. Obviously a different draft story there because right. of the game sheets and the, the brilliance of, uh, of the people working in Vancouver to um, be, be able to prove that um, and get him the way they did. Uh, let's go back to Pollock for a second um, because he's a fascinating piece of the book. Just the way he had the foresight you know, you tell the story about he knows LaFleur is going to be in the draft in a year or two and he goes to work on the California Golden Seals. They want to they they have visions of of, of winning right away. I think it was Frank Selkie Jr. Uh, uh, Selke Selkie yeah. Jr was the the guy there and the the owner and they're working on him and 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 they put together the chance to have the pick to to get him. And he's a brilliant character. And you also talk about, which is really interesting. How if they hadn't stopped the provincial rules when they did, the Canadians would have had like Gilbert Perot, uh um, Fleur, There's Dion. like four and Marcel Diane is like yeah. oh, oh my yeah. oh my god, it's crazy. and it, it shows you just in those few sentences how important the draft was to the league, right? Because without it without oh yeah. yeah, without it changing the way we would have seen that. What about Paul, who's really a fascinating character in the book i thought well
0: I, I thought too the the great thing about pollock i know he, you know we talk about the lafleur deal and and um those those type of deals but it's even after he retired they used his picks to get Ganey and Carbono and on and on yeah. it was unbelievable how his picks his second first and second round picks he acquired that stayed after the fact
1: yeah, it's it wild. He he was, he was unbelievable. And that's someone I, you know, obviously I knew his name, I knew his reputation, but from this book I didn't know that you know I didn't know the intricacies of his brilliance. You know, well, I, yeah, it
3: was yeah, amazing. Pollock also had the foresight to, make a few years ahead to pick to get the, their first pick in the nineteen eighty draft, and because there was a kid named Gretzky that would have been eligible, <laughs> right. For that. Yeah, and he he wasn't in that draft only because of the merger a year earlier with the World Hockey Association. So he was, he, you know, what Lafleur was to the seventies. Gretzky would have been to Montreal in the eighties. Can you imagine how that those great Canadians teams of the seventies would have carried on through the eighties? And uh, they drafted Doug Wickenheiser with that pick, and sadly he passed away. And I think as Doug mentioned, and Doug. Knew him well from Washington to St. Louis. He kind of succumbed to the pressure of of being in Montreal and you know not being one of the Francophones that was highly uh, rated for that draft.
1: Yeah, Doug Wick, Wick, Wick was an interesting part of the book too because I don't want to call him a bust or anything like that, but he was like the he was like the start of um, you know it didn't hit. I guess is the way to put it. it didn't hit the way they thought it would. And yeah. we've seen that over the years. You talk about Alexander Day is another one. You know that. Uh, there's did, all kinds. Yeah, that didn't. Hit. There's all yeah. kinds of them. That's the different elements of the draft. When you're when you're when you're getting ready to make that Nash pick, right? How much in your head is that? Like how how much are you like? This has to hit. This has to be the one. Do you think about those guys more, or do you think about the guys that have hit more? And it gets you excited that okay. We're gonna Nash is gonna be like these guys, and we're gonna be off. And here we go, you know.
0: You know, I I don't remember making one first pick that we weren't really really excited about. Sure. You know, even uh, you know Klesla's our first draft when we picked Rusty Klesla. I mean, our guys really believe Rusty Klesla had a chance to be a star, and and Brule was going to be the next Iserman and JaredEv was going to be a superstar. So I remember leaving every draft so fired up, maybe the Picard one. I wasn't because he was the eighth pick, but, but really, you know, the other guys, JaredEv, Brule, you know, Nash, um, we, we thought they were all going to be stars. And we, I remember leaving those drafts thinking, Oh my God, we got, we got Jared F. at four, and really, we had him rated three on our list. You know, we had Stall and Horton ahead of him, but we had we had Jared at three. We ended up getting him at four, and I'm thinking, oh man, we got a superstar in the making here. And little do you know, uh, some of them don't turn out as well. But you know, the the thing with Wickenizer that was really interesting, and we talked about it in the book. And I, I remember talking to. Bob Strum and I remember talking to Brian Murray, who coached Wick in, in Regina. Just how amazing this guy really was. And I was playing for the Junior Canadians when Wick, when uh, when Wick came to Montreal. I was with the Junior Canadians, and I remember the, the people talking about him. But the first time Savard came to Montreal to play for Chicago, they sat Wick out, and 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 Bob Strum told us, yeah. He he never recovered. Wick never recovered when they did that to him. You know to sit him out going head to head against Savard the first time he Savard came to Montreal. Uh,
1: the Sabres have drafted one a few times and it's it's went pretty well. Uh, Perot obviously uh, we hit yeah. that hit that one right. Turgeon, uh is going to the Hockey Hall of Fame and you know if you combine Turgeon and La- Lafontaine because eventually they flip Turgeon for Lafontaine. Yeah. Yeah, that pretty well. Uh, we're pretty excited about Darlene and uh, Owen Power here. Uh, what about a Sabres story in the draft for my Buffalo people and uh, and Buffalo? Obviously, this is the famous they drafted a guy who didn't exist. So there's been some colorful Sabres moments in the draft over the years.
0: Yeah, like the, the uh, yeah, the Buffalo had some great, you know, some great picks over the years. When you think about Rick, Mart- Rick Martin and Renny Robert and all, you know Rick Martin. I remember I followed Rick Martin to the Junior Canadians, and I remember how good he was and how much of a star he was in Buffalo. So they had they had a great draft history that you know over the years the Sabers and you know we followed it close because they were like a Canadian team to us, really. You know,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, man, season ticket holders in 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 the arena has always been you know. A, a you nice you haven't even
0: mentioned Eichel yet. You haven't even mentioned Eichel.
1: Well, he's dead to you know? me. He's dead to me. You have to understand <laughs> that.
0: But listen, you know what? I'll, I'll never forget, and I put it in the book, Timmy Murray talking to Timmy when he lost that lottery.
1: Oh, I know. For he's, McDavid. Yeah, and and I
0: said, Timmy, yeah. you're going to get a hell of a player with Eichel. And he, Timmy said to me, and we quoted him in the book, he, uh, no, Doug, he, it's not even close between yeah. the two. Well, Eichel's a pretty good player right now, but
3: it, it's it really isn't close still. And one of one of B- Buffalo's other great drafts was uh, taking a high school goalie, Tom Barasso. Tom Barasso, yeah. yeah overall, and he goes big on to let Alder and become a Hall of Famer yeah. this year. Uh,
1: yeah, the uh, <laughs> I was at a tragically hip concert in the arena when the draft, the the McEichel draft lottery was going on, and everyone Canadians, U.S sabers fans lease fans were all crowded around these tvs in the in the bar in the 100 level and yeah. uh the, but the, there's no volume and the way they were doing it, it it was a real delayed reaction to realize we lost the lottery you know what i mean yeah. without the volume the way the, the logo came up and just didn't register and i've never i just i've been in the, that arena for a lot of groans uh, that was yeah. a, that was a groan, and it wasn't even a Sabres <laughs> game. I mean, the it took me like Gord Downey going nuts on courage to snap out of my depression. I think uh, rest rest in peace to the great Gord Downey. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I'll, and I'll tell you guys too. Last Doug's year psychological for
3: yeah, the draft lottery. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> the uh, last year, the very first Stanley Cup trophy I seen presented. That I can remember, and and I was, in the moment, was the '86 uh, Canadians. I remember Bob Cole. I remember hockey Night in Canada. Last year was the first time I didn't watch the Stanley Cup awarded. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't watch a single second of the finals. Like I said, Eichel's dead to me. I'm surprised you got that much. <laughs> surprised you guys <laughs> got that much out of me about about Jack Eichel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the book is called <laughs> Draft Day: How Hockey Teams Pick Winners and Get Left Behi- or Get Left Behind by Doug McLean with Scott Morrison. I absolutely loved it. I'm a draft guy, you know. I love things like this, and the stories in here are unbelievable. Um, every, you know, every big moment in the draft that I thought of in my head was in the book once I read it. You know, everything I thought, well, mm-hmm. like, oh, I wonder if they, yep. Oh, they, they talk about that. Yep, it's all in there. It's great. Uh, let's get you out of here on this. I was thinking about this, you know, the um, the NFL draft is, you know, such a big moment in sports in the United States here. We're t- I was talking about it with um, someone about how, you know, the month of April you have the the playoffs in the NBA and the NHL. You have the opening day of Major League Baseball, the Masters, and yet still the NFL draft is the highest uh, rated uh, thing. And there's been talk, and I think it might even be final now, that the – NHL has maybe made this decision where the draft is going to be more like the way they do it, where there won't be the tables down there of all the teams. And it seems like such a mistake to me to change it the way they're going to. It seems like draft day has always been the day where big things happen, you know, big trades happen because everyone's together and down there and in the city. And I guess they're going to save on hotel rooms and they're going to save on Whatever. You guys are the draft experts. Tell me if I'm right to be concerned about this or am I wrong? It's going to be no big deal and it's going to make the draft better.
0: You know, I, I'm i bothered by it. I, I know what, when I was in Columbus, we were awarded the draft. And I remember the preparation that our organization did to get ready for that draft. I remember the. I think it was the 07 draft, and, I, and the excitement that it generated our for our fan base. Uh, it, I, I loved it when it was in a city. Scott and I were in Montreal for the draft a couple of years ago, and we loved it. the The whole history and the atmosphere there. I, I'm going to miss it. I, 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 know the GMs want their war rooms in their home buildings, but I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. I, I'm, I'm disappointed.
1: Scott, what do you think from a reporter's, uh, you know, seems like it'd be a good day to track stories and everyone's in one room, no?
3: I think it no, exactly. And that's, I, I'm with Doug. I'm, I like it the way it is. And, you know, the NBA is the NBA, the NFL is the NFL. This draft is unique to hockey and it's been special for all these years. And yeah. you get all the hockey people, all the key people in one city, in one building for two days. And, you know, the interactions from a media standpoint, the the accessibility to all these people is phenomenal uh, and wonderful. I know that's not the reason for the draft, but I got to think from hockey people's perspective and Doug, you can speak to it is you could be walking down the street and you'll see a guy who was maybe your scout from 10 years ago or an assistant GM or you you run into people. And I think there's also more opportunity um, for Movement of picks or trades when people are in the same room or in the same city or in the same hotel, uh, that sort of thing. I think Brian Burke talked a week or two ago about how the Sedine trade uh, deals probably wouldn't have happened if it had to have been on phone from right uh, yeah. central That's location that he had to be in the same city to make it happen. And yeah, L- I, would have been the well, same. Not- sorry, Lindros would have been the same type of thing. It, yeah. you know, on phone, it's not the same. You know, and I, I I, loved it. You know,
0: we'd be on the floor during the draft and the fans, you know, fans would call you over. Fans would be yelling at you. And that was, that was also part of the fun. Or when you're walking around the city and you get an opportunity to talk to hockey fans from all over the world. All over the world, they, they uh, come in for our draft. So I, I'm disappointed. I, I really am. And I think it's... I, I think it's a mistake, but, you know, whatever. It, it has to be like the NBA, I guess, for Gary.
1: <laughs> Draft Day, How Hockey Teams Pick Winners or Get Left Behind by Doug McLean with Scott Morrison. One of the best I've read this year for sure um, and really one of my favorites of the whole 13-year run of the Sportscaster so far. Doug, I know I said that. One more. I'm going to squeeze one more thing out of you. So let's, let's have a little bit of fun to go out. Scott, you can play too if you want. We're gonna start. We're gonna start with the Connor McDavid draft, and we're gonna repool the number one picks. So all the number one picks are now eligible for a new draft. Give me the top four. I won't make you do them all, but who would be the top four? Who would be first? Who would be second? Who would be third? Who would be fourth? If from from uh, um, McDavid to Bedard, the first picks are available. What do you got? Oh man.
0: Oh, man, I can't even remember them, to be quite honest.
1: I mean, But that's why I shrank it to four, because really only four guys matter, and I'm kind of asking you to rank those four guys, if you know what I mean, in a tricky yeah, way. What, You know what, you what had, I'm saying? You went to Mc, me, it
3: went McDavid to Austin Matthews to Heisher to Darlene to Jack Hughes. Lafreniere might be the one that people would debate. I think yep. Owen, Owen Power, was, power. yep. Slavkovsky would be a debate. Yeah don't think there's any debate on Bedard. I,
1: I think it, I'll even, I'll rephrase it maybe to make it easy, easier. You have Jack Hughes, you have Bedard, you have Matthews and you have McDavid. How would they be drafted? If they're, they're all in the same draft. Man,
0: I, I'm, 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 uh, I love McDavid, but I mean, I know this year has been a frustration. I, I, I still like McDavid. Bedard is a question mark. Jack used to me as a chance to be a an unbelievable superstar. Yeah. He really does. He's that talented. I, I coached him in a prospect game when he was 14 in Toronto. And I remember Kipper, Kiprios and I saying, oh, my God, how good is this kid? Um, So Bedard is really special. I don't know. I, I, I still think McDavid has the most pure talent of
3: all of them. I really do.
1: Fair. You want, to, and, you want to play, Scott? George
3: 60 and won an MVP, so he's in that conversation near the top. I, I think McDavid, for now, would uh-huh. be the... And then, you know, boy, you're not going to go wrong with any of the
1: others. Right, right. Oh. I, I, oh, I, I I just say, like, as a United States hockey fan, obviously, we... Oh, man, if we don't get in these next Olympics, it's going to be rough for us. It feels like, you know, of all of all the times that the Olympics has gone... pro, You know, it's like, man, I feel like we got the squad here. You know what I mean. I feel like we got the guys. Yeah. But yeah, all right, Doug Scott. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to mention, plug wise, or anything like that?
0: Uh, no. I pray i I, um, I really appreciate uh, your your knowledge and on the draft, and and appreciate the plugs you're giving us. And I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. It's great. To do these
3: interviews when you're talking to a real hockey fan, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, fun. I'm and so- I was just, just going to say, for the fans listening in Canada, it's available in all the bookstores and Chapters Indigo online. And for uh, hockey fans in the states, there are some stores that have it, but predominantly available online via Amazon. It's,
1: yeah, yeah, it, it's worth. It, it's a great. It's really fun. If you love the draft, it, I don't even think you have to love the hockey draft love this book just kind of the intricacies of drafts you know what i mean is, is well i think the yeah.
3: one thing just the wrap that we yeah we were able to do but via doug was take people to a place they can't get to normally and that's behind the scenes of what it how a team operates what a draft table's like what a war room's like uh what it's like for scouts what it's like to be a gm during the season uh, and then all the discussions that involve players. And, you know, there's some great stories in there, too, about the draft interviews that people wouldn't hear about otherwise. So I, I think it takes people behind the curtain, and that's that's always a cool thing.
1: Scott, thanks so much for coming back. Doug, thanks for debuting. Love to have you back sometime. Uh, but thanks, right, anytime, man. Thanks for the great book. Appreciate you guys. Okay, thank okay, you. Thanks a lot, bud. Appreciate it. Thank Jay Mariotti, Doug McLean, and Scott Morrison for being on the show today. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters podcast on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com sports casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email the sportscasters at gmail.com. Instagram at sportscasters. And please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The 24 Inch Podcast with Hollywood Dave Rollins and Paula Bennett and myself is available on the Sportscaster's feed on SoundCloud at 24inch Podcast on Twitter. Uh, also, 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. And on Facebook, if you search 24inch Podcast, you can join our group. Probably two or three more of those uh, left this year uh, before we break for Christmas and New Year's with Holiday Dave and Paula. All right. One last thing for me today, um, and I thought about a couple different topics. Uh, my brother was in town uh, coaching his hockey team. I thought about talking about that. Uh, we had daylight savings time, which is a hot-button issue. Some people hate it. People like me love it in the fall, hate it in the spring. I've always just loved that extra hour, something romantic about it. Uh, I thought about that. Also, my my daughter's having trouble learning how to read. Um, I thought about that. And I was th- thinking about all these things. Uh, also, I went and spoke at my, uh, my old college today. I thought about talking about that. Uh, but it all made me think of something kind of bigger. And that is, you know, how fast this time of year goes. And it's a cliche topic and it's been done before, but it's something I've been really thinking about as we've transitioned out of, you know, Halloween season, basically right into Christmas. Uh, it used to be a time when you transition from Halloween to Thanksgiving, then to Christmas. Uh, And now it seems like we transition from Halloween to Christmas. Uh, We celebrate Thanksgiving somewhere in the middle of there, but Christmas season seems to get going right away. And I've always said this, that when fall hits, when you go back to school, uh, when you have the opening week of football season, uh, that starts a frantic part of the calendar that ends with a countdown to Happy New Year and happens faster than anything else does on the calendar. Summer goes by faster, sure, uh, but it's nothing compared to this. And I think it's just the sequence of events that are lined up in the fall, where you go, It's it's Labor Day, it's back to school, it's start of football, it's Halloween, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it's New Year's. And it happens just that fast. You know, I was planning out Christmas presents and realized, like, I'm getting paid, like, two more times between now and Christmas. You know, it's time to start allocating the funds I have for Christmas presents. Like, the time is here. The year is over. 2023, which it feels like we just rang in, is over. And I know as you get older and the amount of time you've perceived in your lifetime is bigger. It goes faster. I always tell this story about I remember laying in my bed right after the calendar had switched from nineteen eighty nine to nineteen ninety. So New Year's Eve nineteen ninety. I stayed up with my family and as soon as New Year's ended we went to bed and I remember my mom was tucking me in and I remember saying to her, I can't believe it's you know, this is the first the first time I've lived in a decade besides the eighties. You know, I was born September of 1980, lived my whole life at that point in the 1980s. And I remember how long that felt. You know, it felt like, you know, it was my lifetime and it it felt long. And by comparison, if I think about, you know, the difference between New Year's 2000, Y2K, and New Year's 2010, or more dramatically, New Year's 2010 into New Year's 2020. It's unbelievable how, how, how short that's become. And I know that there is, like I said, science behind that. And it's about the length of time you've lived changes your perception of how quickly it moves. You know, if everything you perceive is one year, that's all the time you know. So it's a long time. Uh, and as you perceive more years, what one year is, is less. And as one year is less, one season is less, and one month is less. And when you start to think about these things, the next thing that comes to mind is mortality. You know, And I think if right now I am truly in the middle and I can live to 86 years old, which, by the way, I'd probably sign up for right now, those 43 years are going to go by a lot quicker than the first 43. And I'm going to be laying in my deathbed a lot quicker um, than I was laying in the bed I I made tonight. You know, relative to the first 43 years. Um, Time slows for no one. And uh, time is undefeated. And any other cliche you can think of. But it's important to reflect on these things. It's important to reflect and do your best to savor the moments i know this year more than ever i am going to try to christmas as hard as i can two years ago i got sick on christmas and it started my downfall into 2022 uh, which of course resulted in the well-documented 133 days in the hospital and the two surgeries and the ileostomy all those things And then last year, when I hoped to regain that lost time at Christmas, we had the biggest blizzard and snow crisis in the history of Buffalo. And I feel like this year now, I want to get it back. I want to get Christmas back. I want to do everything in this one Christmas that I've ever wanted to do in Christmas. Because they keep coming around quicker and quicker. Every year, I put a countdown in my phone for Christmas. And usually, the first time I think to look at it, there's like 250 days left, um, and that, that 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 that's just happening quicker and quicker every year. And uh, you got to appreciate that. You got to you got to you got to try to be in the moment as much as you can. You know, uh, my daughter had uh, cheerleading competitions. You know, the last few weeks here, and I, I didn't record any of them. Because I wanted to just be there with her. I wanted to just be in that gym and just listen to her sweet little voice shout out those cheers. And you know, I just wanted to be in that moment as best I can because, you know, as someone who does spend a lot of time thinking and philosophizing philosophizing? It probably probably walked into a word I shouldn't have there. Uh I reflect a lot, and I try to self-evaluate. And one thing I've zeroed in on is being present and living these moments because you never know when you're on your last one. So uh, a few more shows this year. Let's make the best of them, and we will be back next year, even though I've doubted that a little bit the last few weeks. I think that doubt is gone. Sportscasters will live on at least another year, and I'm sure more than that. Uh, sometimes, though, you have to go through those reflections, like, do I still want to do this? And I found out the answer is yes. So, we will see you next time with the great Joe Buck.